Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Estella Coughlin, and you are listening to The Nest Podcast. Hello, welcome back to The Nest Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have another very special episode planned for today. This is a solo episode, almost like a bonus episode. And the reason why I am putting this episode out is in honor of Mental Health Month, which if you didn't know, it is May. And this will be coming out the last day of May 2023. So this bonus special solo episode is in honor of Mental Health Month. And because I want to bring awareness to it and just to give some information on it so others can be aware about it. And if you guys have been following my podcast for a while now, my first central themes were mental health, self-improvement, and adoption. So my central themes, it was season one where I would talk about things that had to do with those three central topics. And so if you want to go back and hear my story in regards to mental health, go back. I believe it is the third episode that I have released, and it's just called Mental Health. And that will give you a backstory of where I'm kind of coming from in regards to this episode. So we're going to be talking about, well, Mental Health Month and awareness around mental health and therapy is like the overarching kind of thing as well. We'll all get into that at the very end. So before we get into that, let's do a little life update. Because it's been a while since I have done that. Because my last episodes where it was just me, I would do a little life update, a little life recap. And since those episodes, I have not been doing that. So let's... uh. Let's get a little life update. So, I'm home from college. I finished my first year of college. And honestly, college was great. I loved it. I loved my freshman year. I loved the college, the classes, everything about it. Well, okay, not everything about it. There are obviously some flaws like no air conditioning, communal bathrooms, doing your own dishes. Okay, anyway, so, but besides all that, it was awesome. It was so fun. I met so many amazing people in which, obviously for me, not obviously, but for me, people are what make an experience an experience worth talking about and from college I literally met some of the most amazing people so fun so nice so kind literally helped me get through my freshman year of college so now that I can talk about it it it's been amazing and so I wanted to share some of the things that I have learned since coming home from college. One is, for the first year, you really step out of your comfort zone. And for me, I think that was like the best thing possible. Because I'm one of those where it's like, I won't step out of my comfort zone unless I like really have to. And in college, I mean, you're gonna have to. Some more than others, for sure. But in the broad scheme and college in general, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone, which is obviously uncomfortable, scary, challenging, difficult, all that. But in the end, that was like the best thing for me. I now can look at other things that I thought were hard and be like, oh, easy. I can totally do that. It gives me a different perspective on situations and different obstacles in life if you were to say I don't know it's just been the best challenge for me and a challenge that I'm happy to say that I have overcame by stepping out of my comfort zone and so you will step out of your comfort zone when you go to college or if you go to college or even in life after high school there will be ways in which you are challenged 
to step out of your comfort zone. And I think, obviously, it's scary, but it is the best thing that, for me, has happened. Next, college is very different. And it's, like, such a different way of living, but it, like, works. Well, from my high school experience, it was very different. I have way more freedom, way more flexibility. I get to pick my college schedule how I want. So for me, I took 15 credits. I took three in-person classes and two online classes. And so with that, it allowed me to work as well. So it was like Mondays, Fridays, I had one class. Tuesdays, Thursdays, I had three classes, and Wednesdays, I had no classes. So then it allowed my flexibility for me to work, focus on school, but also something that was very important to me was getting involved on campus and meeting new people and being around people. So I kind of split my time up with all of that, and I can say, like, that really helped me cultivate friendships earn money, and focus on my academic work. So honestly, even though I am in person to learn, it's like I'm still getting education online. And it's like I can still go and see professors, but it just allows more flexibility, which I have loved that. And yeah, I've loved it. It's been accommodating to my lifestyle. So that's been awesome. And so the next thing that I've learned from college is It's going to be your chance to be who you want to be as an independent being with no parents or no guardians. And that can be a good thing, but it can also not, not be a bad thing, but people can abuse that freedom and that independence. And so there needs to be a balance between that. I've said this before, the golden mean excess and deficit. You want to be right in that sweet spot. You don't want to, like, go off the rails with your independence, but you also don't want to, like, not take advantage and use any of it, if that makes sense. But for me, being my own independent being without guardians guiding me through life, I have loved that because I can make my mistakes on my own and I can be successful on my own. And where I know it's, like, Oh, this is solely me. My successes, it's 100% because of me. And my failures, it's 100% because of me. And I can't blame anybody else but myself, which is good because that helps me take responsibility. And it allows me to get to know myself more. And the next thing I've learned is that it is a very humbling experience being in college um and i say this in like the best way possible it's always good to be humble but i don't know it's just you'll know it once you go through it even one year even a semester it's humbling you know especially if you come in knowing nobody in college it's it's humbling it's like okay no matter anyone's status in high school no matter like the family background their parents occupation or where you come from it's like you're all in college you're literally at an equal playing field we're literally all freshmen in college that have no clue what our future holds you know so it's very humbling it's like okay we're on even playing field we are all equals you know we don't have the high school status that comes with us because we're not in high school anymore. So it's a very humbling experience, and I love that about it. And I also love that blank slate. Nobody knows your high school status. Nobody knows your background. Nobody knows X, Y, or Z. And only people know you for is who you show them you are. And for me, I have loved that. I have loved that because you could be your own person like solely your own person. So that has been also one of my favorite things. But honestly, I've just had a really great experience, learned a lot, grown a lot, met a lot of cool people. And I can say that 
my first year was very successful. I mean, yes, obviously there are cons, but the pros totally outweighed the cons of college. So, for people experiencing their first year of college next year, good luck. No, I'm just joking. Well, no, I'm not joking. Good luck, but it's going to be interesting, fun, eye-opening, and humbling. Just be ready for an adventure. Let's say that. Just be ready for an adventure. Okay, another thing that I loved, I went to college knowing very few people, like a handful of people. Like I could count on my hands how many people I like knew that I like kind of vaguely knew. So it was kind of like I was going into college knowing nobody, but there were still people around me that I like had a connection of we were from the same hometown. So that was like comforting. But otherwise, I came in knowing nobody like knowing nothing about anybody, and almost literally a clean blank slate. You know, I'm coming here to learn, still to meet people. I'm literally taking people and meeting people as they are. I don't know their status. I don't know who they were in high school. I don't know anything. And that's something that I really did look for in my college experience. Um, I went out of state, and that is something that I really looked for. Not that I didn't want to be out of college with people that I knew, but it was more so about being out of college with people that I knew from like social media, Instagram, people around my town where I like knew kind of who they are. Um, I didn't really want to be like out of college in my state because I would see these people and I would kind of know a little bit about them. One of the things that drew me to out of state was the fact that for me, everybody had a blank slate. And for me, I literally take my friends and people as they are and who they show me they are. And I judge them based on that and not because of their status in high school or their social media image or this or that. I'm taking people for who they are, who they show me they are. And I have loved that because, yeah, maybe I've made mistakes with friends about judging them. But in the end, I just love that I get to be the judge of that. And they also have a blank slate with me and that vice versa. I have a blank slate with them. So that's something for me that I've really loved. It's allowed me to have an open mind with meeting people and meeting friends. And it's worked out for me so far. So. Yeah, that's all I can say. I've just loved college, and the people that I met are so great, so kind. It's it's really refreshing. So, anyway, enough about that. I've loved it. Next. Before I get into the main part of the episode, I want to preface. I am not a mental health professional, nor do I claim to be. I am not a therapist. I'm not, I don't have a degree in any of this, so take my words as a grain of salt, as with as much weight as you want to take them, okay? So I'm not claiming to have all the answers to be right. This is very opinion-based besides the stuff that I have cited as my sources. So just know that before listening and taking everything deeply to heart that I am not a mental health professional in any way. Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about Mental Health Month. So, like I said, May is Mental Health Month. Slay May. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about the month. And so all my information that I am getting these facts from is from National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is also known as NAMI. So this is where this information is coming from. So one in five Americans live with a mental health condition, which means either you or someone you know has been impacted. And yeah, people around me, oh yeah, I know people that struggle as well as myself. So it's very common, very common. And one of the things that was eye-opening for me is like, oh, I could be struggling with my mental health, but I call mental health the invisible illness 
and I'm struggling alone because I don't want to reach out and I don't want to tell my friends that I'm struggling. And then later in life, you all talk about it and you're like, oh yeah, I had really bad anxiety during that time of my life. And then my friend over here is like, oh my gosh, I struggled with X, Y, and Z at this time of my life. And you're like, bro, we could have gone through together, helped each other out here. So it's like people around you, you know, are struggling, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you are struggling and you want to admit it or not, it's better to go through anything with someone rather than alone, especially at a time where it can feel so, where one can feel so alone and so isolating. So that's why we need to talk about it, because the more you talk about it, the more awareness you draw, the more awareness you give to mental health. And yeah, maybe your friend is struggling with that. You can struggle and get through it together rather than alone. The next fact is one in every 20 Americans is living with a serious mental health condition like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or long-term reoccurring major depression. One in 20. Like, that for me is that's one in 20 too many Americans living with that but that is the reality and the truth and that's why we need to draw awareness because I'm sure you know 20 people one in those 20 are living with the serious mental health condition that that I stated it's like, and you may never know it. By the time everyone dies in your life, out of all the people you know, you may never still know that they suffered from even a mild mental health condition, much less a severe one and a, seri- and a serious one. By the end of your life, you may be best friends your whole life, but not know. That's why we need to have conversations about it. Because this is something that majorly impacts people's lives. And I know for me, I would never want to have my friends go through mental health struggles, mental illness alone. So that's why I'm also bringing this up, because as a friend, I would want them to know that, hey, I am here for you. No matter what, no matter what it is, I'm just here for you. And depending on what, what they're struggling with, I have struggled with just... The overarching mental health in general, it's not that my experience is greater than yours or less than yours. It's like I, too, have had the same struggle as you have. Let me help you. Let me let me walk with you in it. So that's also why it's mental health awareness and conversation is so important. Next fact is 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. That's really young. That's young. 14 and 24. So that's also something to be aware about. So... I'll let you take with that knowledge as you want. And now let's talk about this year's Mental Health Awareness Month. Every month there is a little tagline that goes with each month's mental health awareness. So this month's message and tagline is Together for Mental Health. Um, so what that means is we're all one, we're all together, we all support each other, kind of stuff like that. So together for mental health just means that we are together for mental health. We stand up to mental health together. We support each other together. I mean, okay, I don't actually know if that's how you're supposed to interpret it, but I also think it's up to the readers to interpret it and to take that tagline as they want to interpret it. So that's just kind of what I'm going with together for mental health. You support each other together and you get through it together. And 
yeah, that's kind of how I interpret it. But feel free to interpret it as you want. Okay, the next fact is mental health conditions such as anxiety are very treatable, but only 36% of people go to get help. For me, I I am one, or not one, I'm a person of the 36% that goes and gets help. And getting the treatments for anxiety has changed my life. It has allowed me to be more freer to do things I thought I couldn't do because of my anxiety. And I will say I have loved the treatments there are for mental health. And that's why I'm so passionate, again, about mental health. And so it's sad to hear that I'm literally only one person out of 36% of all people to go and get help. That's what if my math is correct. It probably is not. 64 plus 36. Yes, okay, that's right. 64 so, okay, so that means there are 64% of people who struggle with anxiety that do not go and seek out treatment or seek out help. And for me, another goal is to get that number down because I know how much it has impacted my life, anxiety, and how much, how, how less it can impact my life with treatment and help. So here, if you're struggling with anything regarding mental health, please right now go and seek treatment, seek help, go to a doctor, go to a therapist, ask your parents if you can get help because that has really changed and impacted my life for the better. So please, I'm literally, I'm literally begging here, if you... If you need it, and if you struggle with your mental health, please go seek help. No, no level of mental illness is is too small to be treated. So just know that. Yeah. So those were all of the facts that I have, and I just talked about on each point why mental health is so important because there are a lot more people struggling with their mental health than you may know. And that's why it's so, so important, especially after COVID, after the pandemic. It's made a lot more people's mental health worse, and it's enhanced it and increased it. So people are still feeling the effects from COVID. And just with mental health in general, there is treatments and there is help. There are people that do want to help you. And for me, I like I said, Treatment and help has dramatically affected my life for the better. And so that's why I am advocating for this, because it can really help the quality of life. Next, how does one go about reaching out for help? Like, for example, how does one say they want and they need therapy? So I'll start with that one. The therapy. So I am in therapy. I love therapy. I think it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's great. It's insightful. Um, very impactful. So I love it. How's one say that they would like to be in therapy? Well, for me, it was like when my anxiety was really impacting my life, and I was like, I need to do something about it like I honestly can't just get through air quotes anxiety by, by myself which does not make me weak asking for help actually makes you strong so always know that and how I did it is I uh I texted my mom and I sent her a text because it can also be hard to say those words out loud it's it's still the stigma around mental health and it's like if you say those words out loud then it's real and for me I just I just wasn't ready to say that because I was so affected by the stigma of mental health but now I'll I'll shout it oh yeah I'm in therapy like I love it but okay but when you're really in it it's like oh my gosh I can't even say it out loud that means it's real so what I did is I 
got on my phone, got onto good old iMessages, and I texted my mom, and I just said, like, hey, please don't judge me. I I would really like to be in therapy, and I think that would really, really help me because I am struggling right now, and I need some sort of support, and I need support with this. And that's honestly, like, what I said. And the part about the judgment, it's not like I would it's not like I was thinking my mom would judge me. And it's still the stigma of going to therapy. It's like, oh my gosh, would I be judged for reaching out to go get help? Like, looking back, I was really affected by the stigma of mental health. And I still am, but not as much. But it just shows, like, the stigma around mental health really um, deters people from reaching out for help and going out to seek treatment and help. And I would like to change that. I would like to see people going out and reaching for help because it's like, it's so normalized to reach out for help. That's, that's the goal. And that is what I want. I have so many goals with this, but this is another one. Just adding on the goals. So yeah, that's how I reached out for help and said that I need therapy. And from that, we went to the doctor, um, did all that, saw, like, sought out medical professionals' help, in which I'm now on um, medication for anxiety. And uh, that has also changed my life. Uh, it makes me calm. It allows me to kind of have a clearer head, gets rid of the fogness of the anxiety. And it's really helped me. It's really helped, especially through making the decision to go to college. It's really helped me in high school. It really helps me today. So I love it. What a slay. Um, hashtag normalize getting help because it's awesome. And people are here to help you. And that's what I found that there are so many people willing to help you if you just reach out. Break past the wall of stigma and uncomfortability and judgment because once you pass that wall there's no judgment it's not uncomfortable and you find out that's just what the anxiety was telling you you know that's just that's just what anxiety is telling you and it is not true and now let's say you are just wanting to just reach out for any form of help whether that's to your family friends let's go with this reaching out for help in general you can go to your friends to reach out for help. Go to parents, go to siblings, go to people that you trust. Whether you want to, like, say the words out loud or even just text. Even write an email or a letter. I don't care how you ask for help as long as you're asking for it in some way. Um, And, yeah, somebody that you trust and somebody that can get you to your end goal, which is a meeting with the doctor. A therapist. So find someone that can do that, but also somebody you trust and just say, hey, I've been really struggling um, and I don't want to be judged for this, but I think I need support for my mental health. And yeah, take no shame in that at all, even though when you're in it, oh man, it can feel very shameful, but it's not. That's just what the anxiety is telling you. Yeah, so you got it. You are strong if you reach out for help. Because of all the the stigma around it, it can really tell you lies. So if you reach out, you are very strong. So go you. And now let's say, hypothetically, you reach out and you ask somebody that you trust and someone that can get you to the doctor's office or the therapist and let's say they say oh no you don't need therapy you're being irrational like stuff like that like just saying like oh no 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 you're fine which does happen a lot and I'm sorry if that does happen to you but what I would say in my opinion here's what you should do you should you should have you should really sit down with them a second time or just sit down with them the first time. Just sit down with them, whoever they are, and have another conversation and be like, this is serious. This is, I'm sitting you down 
not for the fun of it, but because I want to show you how serious this is. And I want you to see, and I want you to hear from me that I am not okay and that I am struggling and it's not getting any easier for me. And I would like support beyond, beyond the support that I have right now. I would like support from a therapist, a medical professional. All I know is I need your help to get me the support that I need because I am struggling and I do not want to struggle alone anymore and I do need help and I'm asking you sincerely to to help me and to get me the help that I need. And after a conversation like that, if you shed some tears, don't be ashamed of that. You know, it is a hard thing to do, especially if people you trust don't believe you. It can be very hard. And I think, see, that's the bravery we need. And let's say that doesn't work. Then find a different trusted adult. Um, Whether it's aunt and uncle, grandparents, friends, even, they can help. Or people at your school, at your work, at your job. Or if you're able to, go out and get the help you need. If you're living on your own, yeah, you... You don't even have to ask anybody. You can get the help you need. And if finances are a barrier to you getting help, there are ways that you can get help with with doing it with low costs. You just have to do a little bit of research, do a little bit of digging, but there are ways to. So everybody should have access to the help that they need. But all they need to do is ask for it. Go out and seek answers and maybe do a little bit of research, but for the most part, it's just asking and bringing it up like, hey, I can't do this alone. And that is nothing to be ashamed of. And that's so strong. And that is that that is the awareness that we need. So I hope that inspires just one person to reach out and say that they do need help. Because a lot of people struggle with mental health, but they never seek treatment. And to me, it's like if treatment is accessible, but it's it's a fact of how do we even go about asking for help. So hopefully that can help you or someone you know. And share this episode with someone you think would benefit from it. Like merely out of the hopes of helping somebody have the courage to ask for help. That's all. And my last part is what I learned in my first therapy session. Or out of all the things I've gotten from therapy, what would be like the most beginner thing that I believe is important to talk about? And so I've done whatever it's called, uh, talk therapy. I've done that. And I've also done EMDR. And that's a form of therapy, which, let me grab my phone. EMDR is a form of therapy called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So, according to Cleveland Clinic, it's a mental health treatment technique that involves moving your eyes a specific way where you process traumatic memories. And EMDR's goal is to help you heal from trauma or other distressing life experiences. So, that is like the other form of therapy that I do is talk therapy and EMDR. I have mainly been doing EMDR my like my last couple of times I've done EMDR just to help reprocess traumatic events. So now I'm going to get into a main basic therapy session with Estella. Now again, I am not a medical professional. This is just stuff that I have learned, like everything with as much or as little weight as you would like. So, let's get into it. And I'm not saying that all of this is fact-checked right. Like I said, I'm not a professional. And even this stuff, this can all be my opinion. I might have said wrong things. I might say wrong things, like, about this stuff. So, take things as little to as much grain of salt. This is just what I have interpreted from my time in therapy and that I want to share it with you. So, starting off, trauma. Big T and little T trauma. Big T trauma is pretty much 
like trauma where you would associate the word trauma with these events. So a big T trauma is like major events normally seen as traumatic. And so those would be examples such as a serious accident, a natural disaster, a robbery, rape, major surgeries, life-threatening illnesses, chronic or repetitive experiences such as child abuse or neglect or war. And okay, I'm let me set my sources. I'm getting all this from Vivian Baruch M counseling online. Okay. So that is my sources. Okay, so a little T trauma, they're overwhelming, but often not seen as traumatic. And it's stuff like emotions, beliefs, and physical sensations that occur in both the body and the mind. And so some things often described as little T traumas are things as such as feeling uninvolved as a child, being fired, unstable or unhealthy work environments, ongoing stress, being bullied, emotional abuse, divorce, financial issues, or insurance issues. And I'm citing that from the same source as before. And so with all of that, now you know what little t and big t traumas are. So it's always good to be able to differentiate your different traumas because knowing that is powerful. Whenever something happens to me or something, I always say, okay, big T or little T, big T or little T trauma. And then from there, I can kind of assess how I can go about coming to terms with it. Now, with that comes the importance of mind and body. Mind and body, so important. They work hand in hand with your mind and like emotional abuse you can have physical symptoms and reactions in your body so it just shows how important mind and body is and to really connect the two and now i want to talk about left and right brain and how important that is okay so left brain and right brain so your left brain is the logical, rational, and calculating side of the brain. And the right side of the brain is the artistic, creative, and spontaneous side of the brain. And why that's important to know those two, because with the type of therapy that I do, EMDR, it's important to know that because with EMDR, what you want to do is you want to build... Let, let me put this all in simple terms. What you want to do is build a bridge between your left and your right brain that uses the eye movement desensitization to create a bridge and to help you process your traumas through the sensations and through associating it with different feelings. So that's where mind and body come into play. You want to use your mind to feel a different kind of sensation, if that makes sense. I don't know if anything I'm saying is making sense, but you want to pretty much take the traumas from your logical side to your playful side through building a bridge that allows you to almost become desensitized or become become more comfortable with the trauma if that makes sense so i don't know this is all very confusing and very hard to wrap your head around. I totally get it from me saying this out loud. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I even making sense? So, yeah, it's pretty much taking your traumas and allowing you to process them and to come to terms with them while not having your physical reaction come out in your form of anxiety. Okay, that probably did not make any sense, but. What I'm meaning is like the what I'm getting at is the mind and body have a powerful effect on anxiety. And so it takes your events and helps you come to term with it while creating a less physical reaction to your traumatic event. So hopefully that like explains it. I don't know if I'm I'm not okay, I'm not the best at explaining things, 
but hopefully you can like kind of understand what I'm saying. Um, but yeah. And so now I want to get into the left brain. Think of your left brain, which is the logical side of your brain, having file cabinets. And within these file cabinets are files. And let's say every time you experience trauma or you experience something, they all get filed in its respective file folder and file cabinet. So, for example, let's say sweaty palms is not a trigger, but a reactive form of your anxiety. So now every time you have sweaty palms, it goes into a file, file cabinet, file drawer, whatever you'd like to call it. And let's say with your sweaty palms, the first time you experienced having sweaty palms was giving a class presentation. And so through that, that experience gets filed in the sweaty palms drawer or folder. And now let's say the next time you get sweaty palms is you are playing on the playground with somebody that you don't like. Okay? Now that experience gets placed in the sweaty palms file cabinet. And now let's say next time you're living your life, doing your thing, you get sweaty palms. That file cabinet will open up and release all of the files from your file cabinet onto you. So then you get the anxiety of, oh, I feel like I'm speaking in front of the class. Oh, I'm playing on the playground again with someone I don't like. Oh, this is happening. So it unleashes all those feelings and sensations that you felt while playing on the playground with the person you don't like while giving a public speech. So that's kind of like what it is. So we all have these file cabinets associated with pretty much everything in life. And when you do that, the files come out as in like traumas. And that can allow either an emotional or a physical reaction. And so with EMDR, it allows me or any anyone doing EMDR to bridge the gap and to create a connection, a healthy one, between your left and your right brain to allow you to be able to process all those emotions coming out at once by being triggered by something. So in the example I previously gave, sweaty palms was a trigger, and then through the trigger, everything in the file cabinet comes out, whether it's an emotional or a physical reaction. So with EMDR, what you're trying to do is bridge bridge the brains and have a healthier reaction and maybe even eliminate the emotional or physical reaction so you can have everything kind of on a clean slate. And that's how I interpreted EMDR. So again, take my things for as much or as little weight and it is 100% um is 100% possible that I could have been saying everything wrong. So like I said, this is how I interpreted it and this does not mean it's correct and it also does not mean it's false. So take it for what it is. This is just how I interpreted it and how I understand it for. And so with all that, that's why it's so important to be mindful and to recognize, okay, your physical reaction and your emotional reaction to different things and to understand the patterns between them so that's why that is also important and that also helped me realize like okay once I kind of understood what was happening in my mind and in what anxiety kind of was it really helped me to make those different differentiations and it allowed me to learn more about my anxiety so I can um, understand it more and create those connections so I can identify it, which has been very helpful. So through the understanding, it has allowed me to identify my anxiety 
and kind of learn where it's coming from. And so another thing I want to get into is called the cognitive triangle. So with that, it's it comes with a uh with a trigger. Let's say trigger sweaty palms. Okay. First in the cognitive triangle is your thoughts. Thoughts then go to feelings, feelings, behaviors, behaviors, back to thoughts. So it's like once you have a trigger, it triggers all three of the things. Thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And so that's where it can get like the constant kind of cycle, which can be unhealthy. So that's also really, really good to be aware of because once you know that, then you can be aware of, oh, now what does this trigger mean? What does, how does my body and my mind react to that? So that has also helped me a lot. And with all of that, I was able to understand feelings and thoughts. And so my pretty much my first therapy session was about learning all of that. And I think that was super, super beneficial for me. And yeah, so that's pretty much what my first therapy session looked like was doing that. And another thing I want to say that if you you go into therapy, make sure, just like with the job, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Like a job, you want to know your wage, your hours, scheduling systems, breaks. You just want to know all that. Make sure in therapy you do the same. When I got there, I did ask, okay, how will this benefit me? How, what are the different types of therapy? How will those benefit me? How will you make sure that I get the most out of therapy? And maybe those those questions are maybe rude, like, oh, how will you... No, I think you're you're paying for this. You're here for this. You're putting in the work and you want to make sure that you get results because yeah, you you do have to do therapy um pretty repetitively. You want to keep going back and you want to keep building up from your progress, especially through EMDR, but also just talk therapy in general. You want to make sure you're keeping up your progress and so you're putting in the work too and you want to make sure you're getting stuff out of this so you're not just wasting your time because you could be doing other things more beneficial with your time if this form of therapy might not work for you. So make sure you have your questions ready. You both get on the same page and you're like, this is what I want and this is what I need from therapy. How will you help me do this? And they'll tell you all the information they've got and from there you can assess how you want to go about therapy. Whether you do want to do talk therapy, EMDR, um, there are other different types of therapy. When I say therapy, it doesn't just mean talk therapy. There are a lot more different forms of therapy. So just know that your options are not limited to just talking. And so that was pretty much like my first therapy session. And that's just kind of what some of the key points that I wanted to share with you. And so now we have some questions from the Instagram at the Nest Podcast with Estella. So I think we just have one very simple, and then that should be the end of the episode. So these questions are anonymous. And so the first one is, what are some ways to not let your mental health control your life? Well, my main way is to go seek out help, be in therapy, and to possibly get medicated for it. That has allowed me to not let it control my life. Because if if you don't seek out any form of help, you honestly, it will control your life. It's done to me, and it will do it to you. It will control your life. And so if you don't reach out and get help, you're just like a sitting duck that is willing to be tossed around and mental health can be a bully and it will control your life but the first thing you have to do is you need to get ahead of it and honestly if honestly I want to say um investing in your mental health is one of the greatest investments it truly is it can get expensive but there are ways that you can do it on a budget 
there are ways that you can get help on a budget. And it honestly has been the best investment because it will it will last you for a lifetime. It'll lo- allow you freedom from mental illness for a lifetime or even for shorter periods of time. But it is well worth it. So I highly suggest you do that or anyone listening should do that. And yeah, I think it's just a great investment. It's almost like college. You get that college degree, you get the information for your life, get to go find a job. Maybe this analogy is not it, but when you invest in therapy and medication and doing the work, in the end, what what's your outcome? You're able to see life clearer without mental illness fogging up your judgment and you're able to then go to college, get a job, be free in your job, focus on the things that matter instead of focusing on if you're going to be happy or sad the next day, if you're going to be able to go to this event, or if your anxiety will be too crippling to to have you cancel last minute. It's honestly a really great investment. So I would really highly recommend that anybody invest in it if you do need help and you are struggling. And also don't be ignorant to your your mental illness and don't think that you don't need it because you can toughen it out or whatever. Because yeah, you can, but it'll eventually come back and it will um, catch up to you. So rather, rather get treated earlier than later. You're still developing. It can really help, help in that aspect to get ahead of it before it's too late. And it's a great investment. So yeah, that was pretty much everything in the episode that I wanted to talk about. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it and for listening to this episode because I do think there are very valuable pieces in it. So thank you so, so much. And if you haven't already, go follow the Instagram at The Nest Podcast with Estella. Please rate it up five stars on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcast. Rate it and give it a review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure to turn on the bell icon so you are always up to date with the episodes that come out. Until next time.